My name is Brian Jones. I'm so happy to see you. Happy Easter. We're glad you're here. You're dressed up and, and ready to go. And uh, uh, it's just a real privilege to be here. We want to welcome those of you who are new, those of you who are watching online. And I want to start out by saying there are 2.5 billion people around the world doing what we're doing right now. And what's interesting is that every single country, every single culture has their own unique way of celebrating Easter. For instance, in Germany, they have Easter egg trees. I don't know if you've ever seen that. That's kind of cool. That'd be really cool, unless I was a parent of three small kids and I had to hang those things on the trees, right? In Albania, they don't have Easter egg hunts. I love this. They have Easter egg fights. I couldn't find a lot of footage on this Albanian tradition because I assume the first rule of Easter Egg Fight Club is... So what they do is they decorate their eggs, right? And then they go around the room and they have an egg battle. And the egg that is left intact at the end of the battle, that person is supposedly going to have good luck all year. Take a look at this. Doesn't that music make you want to have an Albanian egg battle? I want to do that today. We're doing the Albanian egg battle. Let's do this. In the city of Corfu, Greece, every Easter morning, the church bells chime at exactly 11 a.m., and as soon as people hear the church bells ring, this happens. Literally, they hear the church bells, and they just start chucking stuff out the window. It goes back to when Napoleon came through town, and the citizens essentially were trying to help out the army by essentially dropping this stuff. I found a picture. I have to show you this picture. Look at the expression on this woman's face right here. I love that. Now, finally, this last tradition would not go over well on Easter in the Jones household with all of the gals in our house. In Hungary, they have a tradition where they pour water over the heads of women on their way to church for Easter. But here's the kicker. After they pour the water on their head, they ask for a kiss, which explains why there are so many single men in Hungary, right? (laughs) Jim, I'm telling you, she just doesn't know I exist. Bill, please just listen to me. Sneak up behind her, will you? She'll love it. Trust me. Trust me. Well, Christians around the world have all of these interesting traditions, and we at CCV were feeling very, very left out, because we don't have an interesting tradition that you can find in Google on YouTube. So what we decided is that maybe we could start a tradition that people maybe in Albania will see on YouTube, and they'll be jealous of us. So here's what we're doing. Starting today, whenever Easter Sunday falls on this particular date, we're going to do something, and I'll just let the video speak for itself. Hey, Eric and Brian, we're at Meshach Physical Therapy and Skip Back, and I am challenging my brother here to a little mono e mono competition. Now, the reason we're doing this is last fall you challenged me to do something. Yes, I took you to a haunted house, Shocktoberfest. <laughs> 
it was the worst possible experience in the world. So what I'm doing is I am challenging my friend right here to who can last longer in childbirth. Uh, Dr. Mishak is going to simulate the pains of childbirth, mm-hmm. and, and you can tap out at any time. And basically, the person that lasts the longest wins. Uh-huh. And Dude, so it's going to totally be me. Okay. All right. So here's the thing. We have been hearing um, our, our good friends, our mothers, and our sisters talk forever about how hard childbirth is. And we're here to show you how easy it is. In fact, I brought my Wawa lunch to eat through childbirth, let's do this. Boom. All right, so we want to introduce, we're going to have uh, our two buddies here be our Lamaze coaches. Um, because it's so, labor labor's so hard, you have to have someone there coaching you through it. So, so you're going to be mine? I'm going to attach the electrode right to his abdomen. Right to the abdomen. Is that the only, give him lots of electrodes. I still can't believe you're eating. Because I'm starving. I haven't eaten. Okay, so we're going to also t- attach the electrodes. Do not film this. This is to Brian. <laughs> so I need, a, I need a thumbs up uh-huh. when you start to feel it, okay? Uh, Anything? What is this right now? This is sensory level stimulus. Okay, there we go. <laughs> so you're fe- still feeling the tingling sensation, right? I'm going to stop eating. Why are you going to stop eating? Yeah, I'm going to stop eating. Okay, okay, there we go. Oh. Now what are you feeling? Um, still tingling, a little bit more intense. Dude, you got a little bit of, you got a little bit of beef oh. sweat up here. What? How many centimeters are we dilating yeah, right oh, now? Oh, what, what level is that? So I'm turning you both up at the same time here. Okay. So, oh, okay. You got this, buddy. You got this. You're not even now. supporting me. You just tell your wife to breathe, right? That's yeah, what we did. Yeah. We I'm being shocked. Oh, oh, if I'm tired, yeah? Yeah, you shouldn't feel that one. Are you doing okay? Yeah, I'm good. Is the muscle contracting yet? <laughs> I can't tell. Here's your motivation. Look at him. Look at Brett. And no, tell yourself in your mind. No, he's like, he's encouraging. Oh, oh, you're, 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 you're not doing anything. You're not doing anything. You need to wipe the sweat off. I'm feeling sick. Is this clean? Is this normal? Oh my god! That's what I'm saying! Oh! Crap! I need to stand up. Oh, you got this. oh, you got oh, this. Stand up. oh. You got this. You got really? This. You got this. You can't stand up. Wait, Wait you, don't stand up. Where's that towel? I need a towel! I want an epic girl. Oh. <laughs> you got this, bro. You got this. You got this. Where are you going? <laughs> I need, seriously, I'm gonna throw up. Big contraction. Here we go. This. Here we go. Here we go. This is serious. This is the worst I ever. This is ridiculous. This is I'm telling you. Where are your happy place? You want some of this? Oh. How far? No. This is right. I'm done. I'm done. Oh. Yeah. Oh. 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 I want to congratulate you. You got me. But here's the thing. What day is Easter Sunday? What day is that? April 1st. It's April 1st. Yes. Listen, the Bible talks a lot about forgiveness. Okay? And you believe that, right? You believe that with all your heart. Okay. I'm about to tell you something. April Fool's, my power was never turned on. (laughs) 
That's a joke, right? I love you, bro. Are you serious? Are you serious? I was acting the whole time. <laughs> I told you I hate the hockey house. I told you I was going to get you back. Are you serious right now? Oh, yeah. He's not hooked up with the hoe. No, 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 no. That was Frank's idea. You went along with it? No, no, no. I really just went through all that pain by myself. Yeah, we were with you. Oh, all of you can. Ryan, that wasn't cool. I'm coming for you. Yes, yes, I am going to hell. I know it. I know it. Well, one tradition we're going to practice every single Easter, regardless of the date, is we're going to remind ourselves why the resurrection matters, why it is our hope as believers and the afterlife. And so I'm going to read from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16. You can follow along. If you uh, download our church app, go to the app store, type in Movie Church. It will bring up the app. You can follow along by typing the Bible tab. Let's read. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He's risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him, but go go tell his disciples. And Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. And I love the way the story ends. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb, and they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. This morning, I want to point out two things from this passage, two reminders. And the first is, Jesus' resurrection means our past can be forgiven. There's not a person here that's done something that God didn't know about and that God won't forgive. You know what? Verse 1, it says, Mary Magdalene, for instance. This is a great example. Mary Magdalene. Magdalene is an interesting name because it's not her first name. It's actually a nickname that she was given. Magdalene comes from Magdala, which was a little village on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. Now, that's what we know, and so we assume it's a reputation. It was a nickname that she was given, Mary from Magdala. But why? Probably the Gospel of Luke gives us a little more information. It says that after this, Jesus traveled about from town to town, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. In other words, when Jesus met Mary, she was in such pain that one of two things are happening. I believe in demons, I be- no, no doubt. I believe that's what the Bible is teaching, but it could be what the gospel writers are saying, that in the same way our congregation partners around the world with groups of people that rescue young girls from trafficking, pulls them out of brothels, 
prosecutes the perpetrators. And this little seven-year-old girl at Rafa House has slept with 600 men. You develop what psychologists will point out multiple personality disorder as a way of coping. And so maybe that's what's happening. Or maybe they're talking about actual demons. It doesn't matter. Mary was in a tremendous amount of pain. So Jesus comes and he meets her. And he tells her, you can be forgiven of everything that you have ever done. Maybe there are some things that you regret. I think we all share that in common, don't we? We all have regrets. We've all made mistakes. We've all sinned. We're all together in that regard. I know for a fact there are a lot of people here this morning that have a drug problem. Your wife drug you to church. Your parents drug you to church. <laughs> a lot of drug problems here. But you need to understand that regardless of how you got here, how much you matter to God and how much he loves you. And if you're here, and this is the only time you ever come to church for the rest of the life, you need to understand, you are loved. And you can be forgiven. Now, I don't mean to make light of this. You might actually struggle with a drug problem. It doesn't matter. He loves you, and you can start over. You might actually have some, done something that is unforgivable in other people's eyes. It doesn't matter. He loves you. You can start over. You might be one of these people that online love to correct the grammatical mistakes of other people, pointing out the difference between your and your are, the, the, the contraction there. If that's the case, there is no hope for you. <laughs> Sorry about that. For everyone else, when we make Jesus the leader and the forgiver of our lives, like the 24 people last week that were baptized here at CCV, their lives were changed you have the opportunity to start over. But here's the other thing. For those of us who are already Christians, who are already bought in, I think Easter is actually an opportunity for personal rebirth as well. How many of you are here this morning? And you're like, you know what? It's time for a change in my life. It's time for a change. God is calling me to do something different. God has been tapping on my shoulder for too long to do that particular thing, and I've been holding off. And what the resurrection tells us is that there's a whole lot more strength. There's a whole lot more strength going on inside of you that, that you realize. One of my favorite quotes comes from a 19th, 19th century writer, George Eliot. He said, it's never too late to be what you might have been. I love that regardless of how old you are, no matter how many berries you're facing, how stuck you feel. It's never too late to be who you might have been. Now, I love that quote especially because a lot of people don't realize this, that George Eliot was a pen name for a woman named Mary Ann Evans. Mary Ann was a novelist in the 19th century in a very sexist culture. She realized that no one was going to read her novels if she put her actual name on that, and so she stuck it to the man and changed it to a man's name and became a best-selling author. I just think that sort of gumption comes from someplace deep inside. And for those of us who are believers, don't ever forget that quote. Don't ever forget what the Apostle Paul says in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. This whole letter to, the book, to, uh, to Ephesians, the first chapter is a prayer. And in the middle of that prayer, it says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. I pray that you may like see a light bulb go off. In order that you may know the hope that we're not stuck the hope to which he has called us, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people, his incomparable, incomparably great power for us. And I want to pause there. See where it says, his incomparably great power for us who believe the power that was exerted at the resurrection of Jesus. I don't like the way the NIV translators translated that word for us 
comes from the Greek word ice, which is a preposition, which means into or in. In other words, what you have inside of you is the same resurrection power that God exerted when he raised Jesus from the dead. There is nothing that you're going to face where you're stuck, ever, never. So maybe there's a time to be reborn. The other thing is, Jesus' resurrection means I could be 100% confident that I will go to heaven when I die. I mentioned that we had a baptism service last week where we baptized 24 different people. And they were like, you know what, I'm ready. I'm all in. I meet so many Christians. I'll ask them, jokingly, Do you, are you going to heaven? And they're like, oh, I kind of hope. Yeah, I'm kind of thinking. And I'm like, to go your entire life as a Christian and not know with 100% certainty that you're going to heaven is like going against everything that Jesus said. Um, the early church talked about how Jesus was like a first fruits, like there's a big bucket right, of blueberries, and they bring it into the room, and the first person to grab that blueberry and taste it, it tastes amazing. Jesus' resurrection, he was like, he was the first man in. And when he was raised from the dead and went through the door, he turned around to the rest of us and said, oh, trust me, it's happening. It is happening. You are not nuts. The way you're made fun of in our culture, that you're stupid and ignorant because you believe in this stuff, it's real. They're wrong. John chapter 11 says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then he asked this, do you believe this? A number of years ago, a very good friend of mine here, Dave Don, good friend of many of us here, got cancer. And it was so sad for so many of us to watch him slip away week after week and month after month. I'll never forget walking into his hospital room the day that he passed, reading him stories about heaven, about the resurrection, about the new body that he was going to get. His body completely ravished with cancer. I have friends who are chaplains who became atheists and they couldn't get jobs anywhere else, so they became chaplains at hospitals. And they'll go around and they'll read people this passage because they think it gives people hope. I believe there's a special place in hell reserved for people like that. What we celebrate here this morning is not a comfort if it's a lie, if it didn't happen, if it's simply a placebo to make us feel better. The Apostle Paul said, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and your faith is in vain. You just died. I'm convinced the resurrection did happen. Let me give you a couple reasons. Number one, the gospel writers didn't alter the fact that the women, that women were the first eyewitnesses of the resurrection. They didn't change that to say men were the first eyewitnesses. And they certainly felt the pressure to do that. This may seem insignificant, okay? But it's not. Let me explain. So four years ago, I got an external hard drive because I'm trying to figure out what am I going to do with all of these pictures? Am I the only one that struggles? Where am I going to like store all of these pictures? 
The solution eventually was Dropbox because that's what all the cool, good-looking people do. So um, put all these pictures in Dropbox. And I, as I'm doing this and I'm transferring over all these pictures from my laptop into the external hard drive to save it there and then put it on the Dropbox, I counted the number of pictures that my wife Lisa and I have between us of growing up between the age of birth to 18. How many pictures do you think we had between us? I counted around 300 pictures. That was it. Guess how many pictures we had of our three daughters between the ages of birth to 18? I have the exact number. Let me read it for you. 164,349. First off, that's what happens when you give a guy who has no idea what he's doing a digital SLR camera. I just, I just start snapping. Like, let's pick, let's pick five, not 500 pictures of this one game, okay? So the other thing is, that's what happens in just one generation. Just think about that. My parents, I think I've seen around 20 pictures between them from birth to 18. My grandparents, I saw maybe 10 between them. Here's one of only two existing pictures, surviving pictures, of my great-grandfather, Marcus Leon Kingdom Jones. Um, he was stingy and generous, my, my Aunt Pauline said. He was stingy in that he wore the, he would stitch together the same overalls and outfit. He wouldn't change it. But he would buy up bottom land and he would rent it to people and then he would just give away land and money to people that were in need. Now, I imagine that when they took this next picture of his wife, Sarah, he was like, no, do it with the corncob pipe because nothing says I'm sexy and I know it like a corncob pipe, all right? Here's what I want you to understand. Marcus Leon Kingdom Jones died in 1952. This is three generations ago. I want you to think about the shift that has happened. Our culture, if you wanted to prove something, you need a picture of it or video evidence. But the resurrection of Jesus happened 1,800 years before the invention of the camera, 90 generations beforehand. If you had something to prove and you only had eyewitness testimony and if that person was believable, you did it. If the person wasn't believable, you didn't do it. It came down to the testimony of the person, the character of the person giving the testimony. The resurrection occurred in a very sexist culture. Today, you want a woman to be your eyewitness. They have the reputation of being careful, of not exaggerating, and of being very kind. And am I saying that because I want my wife to love me more? Of course I'm saying that. Of course I'm saying that. But here's the thing, in the first century, women were not trusted. They weren't reliable. If something happened to you and the only person that saw it was a woman, you were like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm messed over. Matthew comes along and says, you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. I'll prove it to you. Women were the first people to see it. And that's why I believe it. Because if it was something that was made up, they would have changed it to men. Flat out. Here's the second reason. The Gospels all disagree on minor details about the resurrection story. And you heard me correctly. They disagree on minor details of the resurrection story. 
Let me just read three passages. Matthew 28 says, There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone, and sat on it. Mark said, As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. They found the stone in Luke 24, and rolled away. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. Those of you who are skeptical, you make fun of your family member that brought you to church about believing in superstition and fairy tales. You're like, preach it. Preach it. All this stuff is made up. There's no reliable evidence. So what is it? One man, one angel, two angels. What is it? Here's what you need to understand. They all agree on the core facts. It happened on the first day of the week. The stone was rolled away. The tomb was empty. Someone appeared to tell the witnesses, the eyewitnesses, that God raised them from the dead, and they all freaked out and ran. They all agree on the core part of the story. Where they diverge is where you would expect people, multiple people that witness an event to diverge on the minor details. They didn't come together afterwards and say, let's get our story straight because no one's going to believe this. Now, which is it? Okay, is it one or two? Here's what you need to understand. This is what makes me trust the Gospels. If they, four different accounts, agreed explicitly in every single detail Anybody with any sense of ancient historiographical sense to them would say, hmm, that seems kind of fishy. I have conversations with skeptics all the time. They'll tell me, this is one of the reasons I don't believe in the resurrection. And I would say, that's one of the reasons I do believe in the resurrection. Finally, here's the third reason. No one dies for something that they know is a lie. No one denies that the tomb was empty. The question is why? First century Jews claimed that the disciples stole the body. The disciples said they saw something, went out, and they died for it. Terrible deaths. June 17, 1972, five men working for the committee to reelect President Nixon broke into the Democratic Party's headquarters in the Watergate Hotel in Washington, D.C. They tried to steal damaging information that would help Nixon win the re-election. Well, everyone knows how that story ended. Nixon resigned, was later pardoned by Vice President Ford, and all the president's men went straight to jail, including a vile, hard-driving man by the name of Chuck Colson. He was given the nickname Nixon's Dirty Tricks Man. Colson was as hard-driving and vile as they come. Colson, however, while in prison, started reading a Bible. He became a Christian. And Jesus changed that man's life and turned him into one of the kindest men of the late 20th century. In fact, he started a ministry in prisons across the country called Prison Fellowship that helped hundreds of thousands of incarcerated men and women find hope while in prison. And so Nixon's hatchet man became one of the kindest followers ever of the 20th century. When speaking of the trustworthiness of the Gospels and the resurrection, Colson writes, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? 
because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put, put into prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. Friends, something happened. And that something is, you know exactly what it was. It was the single most important event in human history. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 tells us, In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Hope for your past, hope for your present, and most importantly, hope for the future, which is why when I left the hospital room that day with my friend Dave, the last thing I did is I leaned down to his ear and I whispered, Hey, brother, I love you. I'll see you on the other side. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to celebrate something that Jesus asked us to do. It's called different things in different church traditions. The Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, communion. The ushers are going to come and they're going to pass trays. And we want you to grab two things. A little piece of bread and a cup. And what we're going to do is after everyone has been served, we're going to take communion together. And the reason we do this is because the night before Jesus was crucified on the cross, he said, every time you people meet, doesn't matter where you are in the world, doesn't matter how bad things are, I want you to take this and I want you to remember what I did for you because I'll see you soon too. Thanks for listening to Brian Jones Sermons. For more information and to find similar articles on this topic and more, go to happinessable.com.